The following episode contains materials such as sexual abuse, drug use, and suicidal discussions that may be a trigger to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I hurt my knee on the treadmill. What'd you do? I was walking. I have a weighted vest, though. So maybe that. And it's uphill. I mean, I mean, whatever. It's, it's the old age. It's creeping no, up. No, no, no. I'm 30. I'm still in my 30s. So <clears throat> no old age here. It creeps up on you. I'm learning. Yeah, I know because I see you looking at your phone like, like my father from. Oh my! It is. I have to pull. <laughs> and you put, and you have like this scowl on your face I have while to you pull look at it. my phone away now. Uh, it's terrible. It's so embarrassing. I can't. Don't believe, do it in public. I can't believe I'm at that place now. And it was like it happened overnight. I'm telling you. And then you, you were like. What'd you say the other day? You're like, oh, my hip hurts. I never wanted to say my sister was right, but she was right. She said it. She yeah, said, as soon as you. <laughs> she said, when I saw you with the phone, I was like, that's ridiculous. I'm so, oh, it's terrible. It's and now the kids make fun of you. They do. Oh, it's so bad. I'm going to have to get readers. <laughs> oh my God. We're so old. And you're old. Oh, I'm still God. young. I'm still, even though my, I feel like. I mean, you act 85. Oh, I feel 85. <laughs> I feel 85. I think once you abuse, if you abuse alcohol like I did, your body's going to go through. <clears throat> no, I, it has nothing to do with that. It you does. just get grumpy and crunchy. <laughs> You're listening to Get Found Recovery, the podcast. Hi, it's Lindsay and Adam. We never introduced ourselves, so I'm taking the time to do that. There it is. There it is. We did it. So here we are. So today I'm super excited. Today we have Anna Gopian and she is the founder and executive director of TriCircle Inc. TriCircle is this amazing organization that provides resources to individuals and families affected by substance use disorder. Anna is also in long-term recovery, which to her means that she has not touched a drug or alcohol since July 13th, 1995, right? Did I get it right? You did, you did. Nice. So welcome, Anna. We're so, 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 so happy to have you here today. And that's expressing exactly how I feel for the opportunity to share time with you guys. Thanks. And I think 1995, I think I was in eighth grade. And um, <laughs> such a thanks, jerk. pal. Thanks, pal. <laughs> I, I think I smoked my first joint, seeds and all. Um, and we wanted to have you on the show to not only talk about TriCircle, right, which is a great organization. Mm -hmm. And you've been a big believer in us, and we appreciate that. Lindsay's Facebook memory popped up today, and it actually, two years ago today, is when you had us at your event to showcase our documentary mm -hmm. and to be on a panel. So we're excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. Welcome. Yeah. That was an eighth grade flashback. I was already <laughs> uh, dealing drugs in uh, eighth grade was probably where I started picking up momentum in my use and, you know, in delinquency, uh, meeting truant officers. And yeah, so <laughs> let's let's dive right in. Right. So I know a big thing that we all have in common is we feel that lived experience is um, a really great resource for people. So <laughs> Can you start with kind of give us a little bit of your background and your story and your and your struggles when it came to addiction? Okay, so it's long, right? Meaning another component of what I strongly believe in is a safe environment to be able to get to the story before the story. So that's where the, the history and the time and the story begins, right? So in a single digit age myself, I had gone through some trauma, medical, uh, vaginal. So, you know, I'm pretty open book like that and 
it, it was that, it was traumatic in not having a language to understand what was going on and even knowing what parts of my body was being affected and having some form of um, contact with doctors, but not understanding, right? So I went forward and now I better understand and have a language to communicate what continued in regards to that, I think very deeply rooted, you know, there's hyper uh, stimulation and all these other things that happen in regards to being that young of an age and having things um, engaged with in an area which might normally not have been. So when I went forward into my life, there had been, um, you know, my parents and the challenges with my parents, my, my dad had a, an addiction to gambling and my mom had an addiction to alcohol. And some of our similarities, Lindsay have, you know, shared stories in that area. Yeah. Um, so it, I'll say it's tough raising parents, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I got probably more responsibilities than I, a, a young person should have had, you know, trying to navigate things outside of the house and feeling very um, different from the rest of the world in scene with what was being provided. So my grandparents, both sides, amazing cultural differences, but it really made me an amazing person too. So I always reflect back to my grandparents and, and I have a deep love for my parents. Let me not um, make any confusion there. Um, they were children having children and they have their own stories too. So moving forward, you know, I, I'm probably dangerously informed with what happened. <laughs> yeah, it's almost having too yeah. much information because you've looked inward for so long and to really mm -hmm. crack crack open that egg. What mm -hmm. age what age was that around where you taken those responsibilities on as being almost a co-parent? Um, well, that I think I was incrementally getting more and more as I was developing as a child, right? Because wow. there was things that you can do, including um, being a provider and support to my mom in her challenges with my dad and his, you know, infidelities or, mm -hmm. um, but it did leave a hell of a mess behind and uh, a lot of more questions and it really a uh, reputable restaurant in our family. It was uh, an amazing place to have social interaction and engagement to different worldwide kind of platform. And then Oakdale Theater in yeah. our, you know, they were contracted for uh, meals and things like that. My mom had the store next door. It was pretty awesome. Yankee Silversmith and the Silversmith Country Store. So that stuff right there, I, I consider a blessing and a gift, you know, right. but the social, um, the eyes on us, the societal kind of imposition, you know, we're already born into a pink and blue world, right? And I was probably about as far from pink as anybody as a girl. <laughs> so I, I played football in the neighborhood. I wanted to build cars and ride motorcycles and do crazy stuff, which I did. And uh, <laughs> got all that in, got all that. Yeah, in. yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was alcohol sneaking, you know what I mean? I stole, you know, started, you know, dealing right out of my house. My parents were doing the best they can, I'm sure, with their own concerns and crises. And I was able to actively use in the house and then started to use with my mom and then, you know, kind of helped out her friends and, you know, different substances started to change. And that's what happens with addiction, right? You find something that works. Yeah. That's why we use, right? It works. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it just, son of a gun just happens to turn on you somewhere along the line and it might not continue working unless it's now it's an addiction. So, you know, I evolved as time went on and uh, with substances and behaviors, all things that I get very concerned about when it looks at trying to help the people that now have addiction yeah. in their life and substance use disorders and, and not going to ever stop talking about their families because I wonder how different it could have been. I don't dwell in that spot, but I definitely, when I consider moving forward and applying the changes and solutions into the intent of Tricircle and who I am as a woman moving forward, I always look at the family components too, because there's so many different things. And as you guys well know, because of your interaction and communications and community and families and, and your own recovery processes, and then other educational platforms where it really exposes us to uh, additional education. I just like, I'm, I get very jacked and very passionate. And just so everybody knows, the faster I talk, the less I'll stutter. So <laughs> I can power. And uh, so I started learning. I just started learning. I didn't surrender until I was actually 32. It was nine years before that I made my first phone call for help. What would you call, you experimented, obviously, you started selling mm -hmm. at an early age. It sounds like you grew up at an early age and did all those James Dean things that you wanted to, right? Rebel without mm -hmm. a cause. Um, right. What do you think, if you could pinpoint your DOC, what was it? Um, first of all, I don't use the word choice, so I'm not uh, wagging a finger, but I drug abuse, right? Um, because it's soon after it's regular inner, you know, act and participation. Soon after that, it's not a choice. So it changed as I changed and my mm -hmm. needs changed. So first, it, you know, it actually is behavioral first for me, right? I wanted attention, you know, I was starving for that. And then uh, cigarettes, alcohol. And as these things are in, evolved, they're all, they're included. They're not necessarily, you know, just one. Just because, one aside, uh, right. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in some cases, and you can hear that in, in regards. So then I went to, to weed and uh, stimulants, many different stimulants. Um, and then pills, you know, started to, so it kind of oscillates because I was a more fan of a stimulant, but then opioids and things like that came into play. So drugs were, I'll say what I didn't use, and then <laughs> it really doesn't matter, but it's probably a lot easier. You know, it's like food. I, I like, I don't like, like two things. I like everything else. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my drugs of use is no. a yes answer. And I like that. Yeah, that is a good answer. I like that. I like that you say drug of use, right? Mm -hmm. Not drug, mm -hmm. drug of choice. So you said before you actually got help, nine years earlier, you had asked for help. I had just graduated tech school as an auto mechanic. And in the process of that 18-month program, I was highly involved with uh, cocaine, experimenting, freebasing. I don't even think there's a, any limit or window of choice after you do that once, right? So um, I used with one of my teachers. They became a dealer. I got pregnant by him. And um, of course, I had eliminated it because of the ways and means to get more. It was just, it wasn't even a conscious decision. So I, I remember graduating. My family wanted to take me to dinner and uh, I was in the bathroom most of the night. It was pretty um, demoralizing. I'm not sure. They knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what was wrong. Again, mm -hmm. leading back to the family. And there was a lot of stuff. Stuff was always love in my family because there's always the heart and the best of intention, right? But they weren't able to communicate it, express it, um, show it as much as they might wanted to. But um, so we got a lot of stuff 
all that stuff. It wasn't long before, you know, double high toolboxes and all the tools and working in the fields. And it didn't take long before all that was gone. So that phone call that I made in 1986 was not very obviously impressive to me. It wasn't encouraging. It didn't feel safe. It didn't feel supported. And I effed it. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I went off, but I will definitely follow up with the fact when I did call nine years later yeah. um, to what worked for me. I'm usually I don't care if somebody asks me, but to record it, I don't ever want to impose my thoughts. Right. Or empath or so when I uh, got into recovery, I totally got involved uh, with that fellowship and their public relations and phone lines at that time, because I said, if anybody ever called. Yeah, and got the call that I had, and don't I don't want it to throw it out like that person that was answered the call nine years prior. I wasn't ready, obviously, because you go to, you do what you got to do, right? Right. That person was probably taxed out because right. there's usually a single digit of people giving back to the program that they do, right? So yeah. service became an instrumental component for me in my recovery. And that was the first platform that I went to because I wanted to learn who answers the phone. Then my voice was on all the recordings for the state. <laughs> and I it was June recovery, right? Ego is out of control. I looked great in, in perspective, right? I wish right. I was that fat now, but um, <laughs> yeah. And because I was competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting, so I physically looked different, right? Yeah. I, I didn't even have to mention the, the active addiction in that world. So when I had my voice, I'd call myself all the time. I tell people, have you called the hotline lately? I thought I was freaking famous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You should see how many times I tell people to check out our podcast. I don't want them to learn about recovery. I want them to listen to me. <laughs> I hear Lindsay always talk to you like that. It's excellent. Always. I got to bring them down all the time. (laughs) But that's so beautiful because we feel like at this point in time, we have something to offer. We are about, yeah, it might cross the way. It might be a little arrogant or ego or whatever. You know something? I got someone, many people, including yourselves in my life to have such a candid conversation and get checked. I my humility is incredibly important to me. And I was told, if you are saying that you're humble, you're not. Huh? I was just like, check me out. I am not what I say I am. But many people don't know. You and Adam, Lindsay, will never know what we've continued to do without sharing, you know, and that's the stuff that keeps me well and actually drives my purpose. Right. Right. Well, that's the thing in this, I don't know, or what we talk about, this isn't Mm -hmm. a go talk to your friends about the person who talked to you about their struggles, right? Mm -hmm. That's a confidential topic. And it is, it's a Mm -hmm. lot. So I, you're right. I don't think we can't say too much, right? Because Mm -hmm. we want it to be a safe place for people. We want them to know that they come here and there's no judgment and everything they say is going to be confidential. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in 87, when you made that first phone call or 88, whenever it was like, uh, couldn't have been much of a topic. Nobody was talking about it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, they told you, they told me in elementary school, like, don't smoke weed. That, that was, was dare was there, right? Yeah. That was yeah. basically the gist. Just say no. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was basically the gist of drug addiction. And there wasn't mm-hmm. talks about that mental health slash addiction no. side mm-hmm. and the, the whole family, you know, kind of nut that goes with that no they would not i don't think that the dead the family dynamic was even a thought then 
So because there's you, so much stigma involved, right? Lindsay, right. that has a lot to do with it, the stigma. So yeah, the phone calls and, and it's those people. So what happens right. in the house stays in the house and you're not one of those people. No, you, know? you never want to be that. Uh-huh. Yep. And we were so that. And I, and, I, <laughs> and I find it, I find it ironic that people around, people who care about you, they want to, they want to hope you're doing well. They mm-hmm. don't want to ask if you're doing well, mm-hmm. you know, and that seems like that's been changing a lot too. A lot of people are more forthcoming with like, Hey, I think you have a problem. Let's get it checked out. Or mm-hmm. how are you, you know, not, I hope you're doing well. It's, it's really checking on people and making sure everyone's doing, you know, doing well. Hope is a, a big factor now. Right. And I look at that in a lot of different perspectives. The acronym I, I like in regards to the word hope is hold on pain ends, Yeah, <laughs> oh, I like you know, that. Because I, I regularly am given the honor and privilege of working with parents, guardians, and loved ones um, in the hope and support groups that we have, right? We have seven of those a month. And then there are uh, four hope after loss groups. So again, it's parents, guardians, and loved ones. And when I look at things cyclically, when I look at treating the whole disease, I don't just look at people affected in homeless and jail and treatment. I also look at the people that have passed away yeah. because it's those people and their families have an incredible amount of experience and information. So I am always looking to um, talk about them and ask them because what comes along with the passing of a loved one is another layer of isolation and shame. And now your families can't talk about that either. And um, there's so much more. And I believe that stigma, you know, shame, guilt, and isolation are just as detrimental as the disease itself. Yes. And to be able to build even those that have passed away into the conversation and talk about them and the families left behind, that to me is treating the whole disease because those families are what, they're, they're that one day of passing away from being involved, right? right. Now right. they're just involved differently. But right. all that they did to love their loved one, fear-based, you know, desperation, you know, that's all important. I remember when my mom passed away, I rem- no one knew, right? So my mom was a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. And so I think everyone assumed she died of cancer. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't think we were saying what happened because we were living in the shame and stigma world. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want to say that this happened because, you know, of a, uh, of her drinking. Right. I don't want to say, comorbidity. I don't, yeah. right. I don't want to say that. And granted, like, I always will caveat this with that. My mom was in recovery when she died. She died mm-hmm. of complications from a transplant that she mm-hmm. had needed because of her drinking. Yep. Right. Yep. And it took me years to be here, sitting here and speaking this on Mm -hmm. her behalf because she's not here. I felt really guilty about telling her story without her approval for me to tell her story. Mm -hmm. And it took me a really long time to get to this place where I can, and I know she would be okay with it. And I know she's proud that I tell her story because there's other people that are in the same situation that have a parent Mm-hmm. or a loved one that's going through addiction and you have no idea what to do. Yep. And I, I did, I felt that, you know, so when I would say to people how she died, they were shocked, yeah, my, shocked because my, we didn't talk about it. We didn't say, 
oh yeah, she was in and out of treatment centers a, a few times, or, you know, yeah, she had a problem or yeah, I didn't talk to my mom for a good year and a half because it wasn't healthy for me at the mm-hmm. moment, you know? So, and I never really realized that be- until I was at the beach this year with, with my family and uh, my cousins, we were just getting into it and they know we're open. They know we have the company and we were talking about um, anxiety because, you know, for me, anxiety was a big factor of yep. why I got addicted to kind of end that anxiety. And um, they talked about your mom, my cousins, and they were shocked when they were like, no, she died of cancer. And I was, I, that was the first time. And I'm, I'm glad you said that lens because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that you knew that. <laughs> so, I knew like, so many people thought that. Yeah. yeah. And I was shocked the, when they said it. At the time, I didn't contradict them. I wasn't ready. I, I just let people go with their thoughts. And I just wasn't in a place where I could say I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't, I don't know. I think I had stigma on me at that time. And so I've grown, obviously. Now I just like all of everything. <laughs> um, you put this big wall up around you. So nobody can come in and actually see the truth of absolutely what is happening. Well, and it goes back to addiction being a disease and cancer being a disease. It's so much easier for me to tell somebody that I have testicle cancer than it is to tell people that I am addicted, not that I have testicle cancer, but you know, it's easier to say that and feel loved than for me saying that I'm an alcoholic and to feel that love and put mm-hmm. myself in that category. So I totally yeah. get that. Yeah. For me personally, and, and this is just more the story, right? And positioning and, and the gift, it depends on how you choose what end of the stick you want to look at. Right. So I, my recovery date is July 13th, 1995. And I had gotten a phone call not too long after that first year anniversary. And it was from my mom and she was compromised she was reaching out for help. And I was able to take another person with me and go to her to communicate the information that I had at that point and how she can get some help, but it was going to need her. (laughs) She needed to be there, right? And she had to be in part of the solution because I couldn't do her work, which I've learned over time. And I also can't work harder than her, right? So she made the calls and I was given that honor and privilege of driving her to treatment. And um, she did land up having, I know, like a pretty good 15 years of recovery. Um, When she actually relapsed, I'm not uh, positive about that. Um, Her comorbidities actually increasingly presented again because of her active use. But what had happened over that amount of time is I, I usually tell a story in a way that, you know, I'm helping an addict, you know, I'm helping someone get recovery. And, and I tell the whole story like that that I'm helping someone because that's what where you have the opportunity to do today. And the self of service is what key, it, mm-hmm. it gives you purpose, key to getting well, right? And staying well and being a human being in society and being vulnerable and showing that. So when she reached out, you know, it was pretty challenging. But then I was also like, I'm gonna, you know, I still was young recovery, just got a yeah. year in recovery. Yeah, I had just gone to my first world convention in Philadelphia. And uh, I remember getting all of these um, different things signed and best wishes to my mom and everything was sent to the treatment. So it's all over the world. People are signing stuff and uh, her badge, I took her Christmas, her first Christmas in recovery, her badge said Anna's mom. And the next year it said Anna's mom, Peggy. And then the next year it said Peggy. That's awesome. Wait, your mom's name was Peggy? 
Yeah, I know yours is My mom's I name know. is Peggy. So <laughs> I heard that. I'm gonna leave. I'm just gonna go. Oh, it's so I'm crazy. Cry. Oh my god. Big love fest going on right now, Lindsay. It is so much love. I mean, yeah, that's that's huge. And I but think she moved in with me. Uh, go ahead. Keep talking. <laughs> no, go, I got go, go. that story goes on. Let me tell you, it's kind of crazy. Oh my god. Was gosh. it when she moved in with you? Is that come across loud and clear? Yeah, yeah. So um, my mom, it was at nine months into her recovery, uh, she needed to come. You know, she was in a uh, halfway house for a while. I had found some places, and she could make choices. And she went there. You know, your little place in the fridge and your room, and these are your drawers and mm -hmm. your chores. And so she did all that. And then it, she needed to move on, like the you know, like the celebrations we have are in increments, right? So um, I offered her a place in the condo I was renting at that time. And I never lived with anybody. I've been on my own since I was 17. I was asked to leave. I was no longer welcome. So she came to live with me and man, did I struggle. Yeah. But, and, and I knew it was time for her to move on too when she was about 18 months, right? And it's like, <laughs> next key tag or next chip or whatever it was you were doing today. And uh, so I had to reach to people that I loved because I didn't want to hurt that person. And that's what we do. A lot of the time we hurt the people we love the most. And that was a behavior I needed to correct. So I asked her with the support of other people. And the night she was over my bed, she was packed and ready to go. She came in my room. I worked off shift. So I was getting ready for bed. And she goes sobbingly, you know, one of those cries, like, you know, you can't even yeah. talk cries yet. Yeah. So um, she goes, can I keep a key? Because I might get scared. Mm. Now, she was 54 by this time. She was moving across the street, five houses down. And I was her kid. I wasn't her parent, right? So um, inside of me, I was dying. But at this point, it was not a time for words. And I said, you can keep a key, but no, you will be scared. Right. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So that's super duper important, right? And uh, every year and from that point forward, my mother bought me um, gold charms for the number I was celebrating. So July, I would take off my old one and I put on the new one. Oh, that's cool. And August 17th, I'd give her my old one because we would celebrate back to back. Yeah. And I got the good side of that stick because I was getting the new one and she was, yeah. like, <laughs> she was, she was buying. <laughs> and she was buying. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, beautiful stories that come off of that. You know, I guess biology doesn't equate unacceptable behavior to me, right? So, um, and I don't know their side in their eyes and their limited information, meaning my siblings and other family members and how I was looked at as that person, you know, mm -hmm. those people that whatever name they had for me, um, I had a couple really hurtful ones, but, you know, my family came up around alcohol because of the restaurant and the right liquor or wine with the right meal and before, after dinner, dessert, coffee, whatever, it all had something in it. So my family would go to events where were big event people, supporters, nonprofits and things like that. And they always were around booze. And yeah. you know, so they served my mom fake wine and fake beer and it was coming. And then her sponsor died and it was coming yeah. and, and, it, and I couldn't stop it. And I would uh -huh. say it and then I have to back off. And so when it happened, they kept a secret. And um, then I did find out and I was very angry. I was very angry. And well, it's pretty easy when you're in recovery. It's pretty easy to see someone go. You see the signs, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've probably traveled down that road before yourself, but got ahead of it. And it's pretty easy to know when somebody is, is in active addiction again. On July 13, 1995, 
is my recovery date. That's my only recovery date. Yeah, that's awesome. But a, a guy in New Hampshire said, Anna, because I struggled with that too. I didn't feel like I qualified, right? Because everybody had relapse in their story or at least a high percentage of people. Adam says that all the time. Yeah. And, and so I, this guy said, how many times in the 31.11, whatever years and months before the day you came, did you say, I would never do that again? She go, and he said, you think you got to come here and not qualify? Right. Just stay. Yeah. Just stay. Yeah. That's what Adam says. Cause he'll be like, I don't ever want to do that again. I don't ever yeah. want to go down that road. I don't ever yep. want to feel that. Like the, I the, say relapse isn't a part of my recovery. My and it's recovery. not a requirement, Adam. You know that. You don't have to. Right. It's a reality. Look at the doctor. And this is a part of the medical point. They're saying it's a relapsing disease. No, it's not. It doesn't have to be. It right. does happen. But that's like handing out five free passes. And if you live through that, you can stay. Right. 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 Again, I have to curb my beliefs and even my my pathways because I don't want to come off as self-righteous. Right. So and I've learned because I didn't always have a filter and I didn't even have a language. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't even know how to read well when I got in recovery. I learned by the comic strip section of a newspaper. Wow. I in small increments. And then I laid that up with, um, you know, recovery celebrations, small increments of success, you know? So I think you originally asked me in 1996 and that phone call, (laughs) but it moved on right all by itself. Yeah. uh, And so it was that many years later, nine years later, I found recovery and 32 years old by that time. And so what, so let's talk a bit about, tell us how TriCircle Inc. came about. So how did you get from in recovery, probably working just normal jobs, right? How did you get to a place where you said, you know what, this is, I want to help. I want to do more. I want to help people. I think I had to start working my program to better understand the reasoning and the benefits of selfless service. I was already acquiring it from an in the room perspective, but when I was outside of the rooms, I needed to know more so, I think it's labeled as a concept. Like, so there's in different programs, we have steps and things. So steps are us to help us with us, right? And then traditions help us with everybody else in the in the group that we're working with. And then concepts help us with everything outside of that group. So, and I had to better understand the relationship and the language because I had a very limited vocabulary and I you know had a list of things I wanted to do and you know we have these lists right we create lists I'm a good list person and you know uh, school was one of them and um, hey it started out easy with clean underwear right right and choices (laughs) in the refrigerator always start with the easy (laughs) and I had a corporate job but I worked on the off shift And it was a perfect way for me to start going back to school. I was five years into that job when I asked for help. And I stayed in that job until I was uh, laid off in uh, May of 2016. So I I stayed with 26 and a half years from 1990 1990 to uh, 2016. And right near two years, no, was it two years? 2015, a few days before my 20th anniversary, I collapsed mentally. And I was hospitalized, um, suicidal, had a plan. I knew, I knew I didn't want to die, but I also knew I couldn't be where I was anymore. So, and it was years in the making. And until you have opportunities of reflection, do you see that? Is it the feeling of being stuck? 
it was stuck, unsuccessful. I didn't feel like I hit a social norm. I've never been married in the process, you know, from that very first trauma, when I spoke about, I was told I would never have kids. So what, what happened when you got help at that time? So I'm clinically <laughs> diagnosed with a whole shit ton of stuff, right? I don't know if swearing's okay. I'm, You're fine. Right. I'm clearly yeah. diagnosed with many things You're <laughs> for fine. editing purposes. And, uh, and a lot of that was learning how to communicate, learning how to advocate, learning how to ask for help with people. So that helped me going forward. And when I asked for help, I, what I got, I rode motorcycles too, right? So, um, cause it came part of the lifestyle was like club related. Cause I was a female, right? It was kind of different back then. And so was females riding motorcycles. Um, so I was at a rally and I saw a girl, I had just got done, uh, winning two competitions. One of them, was like a, a, a challenge course on yep. the motorcycle. So yep. I won that and pissing everybody off. And then I got in the back of somebody else's bike and I won the weenie bike. If anybody heard of that, that's really for pictures. And so anyway, I was pretty proud because that's just where it was in my life. And uh, a woman came up to me afterwards. She was riding with this group of people. She says, hey, you want to go out for coffee with us? And I'm looking at her, coffee? It didn't even make sense. All right. I'm yeah, looking at yeah, her, I go, I said, I'm riding by myself. I said, um, yeah, sure. She goes, we went to this coffee shop. Then we landed at the bar, but she was with me too. And it was weird because they didn't drink, Yeah. but some of them did. So that woman, I started watching her, right? And she was already in recovery for eight years and, and she had different things that she was connected to. And uh, so time went on and I, I didn't see her again, right? And then I landed up living in a complex that she lived in. Weird, right? How they came yeah. up with her life. And then we talked and I had asked her poolside one day, hey, you want to come in? We're, you know, doing whatever. It's a, it's my turn, right? So, uh, and we used to take turns. She goes, no, nah, I don't do any of that. I'm just like, wow, look at that. It was the day I came home from a club national in California in the Big Bear Desert. The day I came to in, in my home in Connecticut where I was living I, and don't know how I got home to the day I called that woman. She was put in my life right before I went to California again. And she introduced me to a few people that gave me resources. So when I was in California in a jackpot, I had somewhere to go safe and they knew. And, and I was going there to either die or I was going there to be hurt and put in the hospital so somebody can get me well. So when I got home and I don't remember how, I reached out to her because I, I, I knew she was doing something. And right. I still didn't believe nothing. You know what I mean? I still didn't wrap around the idea of nothing. And um, I had a gun in my hand and uh, I didn't want to kill myself, but I wanted, to, this is a, a part that you may have some relationship with Adam. I wanted to hurt myself bad enough that I deserved to get well. Yeah. So that somebody would notice. That I tried. Yeah. You know, so I didn't end up shooting myself. Um, and I, after a year in my recovery, I, I got rid of that um, gun. And so it was wild. It was wild. So that person landed up becoming my first sponsor. That person helped me navigate the system right to the door handle of the treatment facility I went to. And, um, and I've stayed ever since, you know, 
there's a lot to learn in early recovery that those people that we call our guides, sponsors, mentors, whatever it is, yeah. that they're just other people in recovery. We put a lot of expectation on because we don't know how to carry our own stuff yet. You know, well, they're like superheroes to us. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm three months sober looking at somebody who's like, I'm five years sober. And I'm like, how is that even possible? <laughs> like you're a messiah and, and, you know, seven and a half. Seven. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sober now. And, <laughs> um, you know, people, I wonder if people look at me or us and just say, how do you, how do you even get there? But you get there, mm -hmm. you get yeah. there. And they're looking at you, uh, me, whoever has, uh, I mean, it could be 30 days and people are looking at you like, I can't believe it, you know, but we're looking at those people, usually the ones that can't believe it are the ones that are looking for the hope. Yeah. yeah. Either themselves or a loved one. So that's what I think is part of the task at hand for me and the purpose and passion I have moving forward with TriCircle Inc. is to be the hope of what's possible. Not like my way only, but the the hope to the, the resources so you can choose what you need to be able to get what works for you. And sometimes a lot of the time in with interactions I have, the family gets well first. Yeah. And it's beautiful to, to watch self-care and the evolution of the process of recovery. And um, Tricircle Inc. evolved out of um, my path. It took a while to get in it, right? So in recovery and into the um, the information that I needed to learn to find out more about who I was. And, and you know, there's a lot of resistance in that picking up the pen thing. <laughs> I, I can, yeah, my house was clean, man. When I was supposed to be writing, my house was clean. <laughs> I was clean. I got to clean. I got to do this. I got to do that. They didn't want to write. So um, Tricircle League was born way earlier than it was conceived, right? In a matter of speaking. So it was born because I knew after my stint in the hospital, um, I celebrated my 20 year anniversary in the psych hospital. I was in there for 10 days and I, I say I went in there good and I came out great. I now had an inside information and in my own prejudice against mental health and that I needed help too. Yeah. yeah. So I had to reveal my own prejudices and see the broken system from a whole nother arm. And I came up with a two-year plan, which was January of 2016, after four and a half months on short-term disability to work on trauma. And when May came around, I got laid off. So that accelerated the process in the first couple of years. I had, um, I think it was the third year I met Liz. Liz turned me on to you guys. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so it's just amazing how interconnected we all are, right? And uh, you guys were creating your, your gig there, Get Found Recovery. And it's beautiful to see people take the gift we've been given. We were living two lives in one lifetime and I'm going out sideways with skid marks. I am living yeah, yeah. to my fullest potential. Went I, hard. Uh, we went yeah, hard. Yeah. That's what my gravestone's going to say. He went pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to say, you know, learning, right? A quote that I'll go by and out with is like the beautiful thing about learning is you can't get worse. So as long as you stay on the path, and I went to this amazing event yesterday, it was all day virtually, of course. And someone said to look at every day, look at how you failed, mm. not necessarily how you succeeded, because right. it's within the failures is where we were going to learn how to do things differently. And um, circumstances and lessons and stories, I'm a great advocate because I'm pissed, right? So I see a broken system and I'm pissed. Yeah. So Tricircle Inc. wants to be everything about different. 
How are we different? What are we doing? We're talking about it. People are vulnerable when they're looking for help. Families, oh, yeah. members, loved ones. And, and there's nothing left to offer. We're right. just trying to let them know they can go to bed with their decisions. It's not ours to make. And, and they need to be able to learn how to move forward. You know what I mean? Take on what's theirs. And I'd have to do the same thing so I don't get caught up in doing their work. Right. Right. So I can lead them to pathways and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, this, I'm going to connect to everything that we have this podcast, you know, make sure that get found recovery is involved in some of our, you know, upcoming events, because the many voices is really important. Right. And everyone knows someone. Right. And I think, I think the big thing that we try to do is give people resources. I think when you're in this space, whether you're someone battling the addiction or a loved one who has someone, you know, battling addiction, they're just looking for help. I, I mean, I look back when I was going through it with first with my mom, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know anything about anything. And I was ashamed. And I felt like I was the only person who was dealing with this. No one else dealt with this. It was just me. I'm the only one. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, everything that happened with Adam, I look back at what I did, everything that happened with my mom, it set me up to help him. And I know some people think that's weird and sounds weird, but I really believe that my mom, I always wondered why, you know, what was the purpose of her dying? Right. What was it? Cause it sucks. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that her dying set me up to save him. I really mm-hmm. do. Because if I had not gone through all of that with her, mm-hmm. as terrible as it was, and that happened with Adam, I don't know what the hell I would have done. Mm-hmm. Because I wouldn't have had the education that I had. I wouldn't have had the resources that I had. I wouldn't yep. have known what to tell doctors. What you know, I wouldn't have known any of that and, if I hadn't gone through it. And that. my gravestone would have said he went hard death 2013. I mean, she literally my life with her decision. So, you know, I think that's the biggest piece of what TriCircle does is you're meeting people where they are. You're Mm -hmm. giving them resources that they need, but you're also telling them your lived experiences, which I believe makes people feel that they can be vulnerable with you because you can say, oh, wow, you were, you did some real crazy stuff. So maybe the crazy stuff I'm doing won't look so bad to you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. You, us telling all of our flaws makes people want to talk to us. Mm -hmm. Because mm-hmm. we're not going to judge you because mm-hmm. it hasn't been pretty here all along. Yeah, we don't have time to judge people. No. That's what I always say. No. I just yep. don't have time. Where did TriCircle, I'm always interested in this. Where did the name TriCircle come from and what does it represent? So Tri, meaning three, right? Uh, there's a, a lot of history with the number three and Tri. And uh, so the intention of TriCircle Inc., I started in, I started in the end, right? So, and then to better able to do and succeed at what I wanted, it had to be broken into increments. So it became three phases. And then in the third phase, there's three cycles. The colors being uh, silver, uh, gold, and bronze are because I used to get mad when I was second place. <laughs> so I just altered the colors a little bit so I can they're all important right every one of them was important so that was the thing but I have on a document in out of all my note taking and stuff like that all the different facets of threes and the lessons that are behind them if it was the three little beers the three little pigs three musketeers three blind mice 
three blind mice and then you can go you can go spiritual religious right there's trilogies and then there's a uh, father son holy ghost there's there it, it goes on and on and on the kardashians yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was a reach they are armenian they do have a half armenian which i am so i'll give them that i you know tricircle it was about cyclical cyclical they're circle. They're never ending. They're giving back. They're intertwined. And it's a lot of dealing with the giving back. So this board, or this is the place, I should say, where my uh, purpose came from, right? I got out of the psych hospital and uh, I came out with a purpose. Yeah. I already had the idea, but I didn't know how to execute it. And not that it got started with a two-year plan because I better knew how to execute it. I just came out like, um, this is it. This is yeah. what I was supposed to do. And because I don't have children, um, not married, um, I think I have the flexibility to help other people with theirs. And then it gives me something to, to move forward and leave behind. You know, I, I do want to leave this world better than I found it. Yeah. I think I've been given many opportunities to live and love and fail and grow. So yeah. I am not liked by everybody. And especially some of the tables I'm given an opportunity to sit at because I'm kind of squeaky, right? I am going to say what it is and I'm not going to candy coat it. Yeah. And, and for me to want to find approval through other people, see, I want you to like me. I don't need you to like me to be okay with who I am anymore. I know the difference between what I think, what you think, and what I think you think. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what you think, you think, you think. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's the part of judgment, right? So if I'm trying to process it to take the easier, you know, I think judgment is um, a matter of fact, when you walk into a room, you have to assess it. That's a sense of judgment, right? So even in recovery, did you not find your spot closest to the door? Did you not find the people that looked or sounded or um, acted like you? Or dressed like you, you know, you find you're trying, we're surviving. See, now I'm living and you can do that if you choose, but I just want you to know that there's other choices and you don't have to. Just only can't and should I try to remove from my vocabulary. You know, I being in the room, where do you fit in the room? I just know from experience, my high school teachers on the first day of any class, I would walk in and they would just say, Mr. Yurak, right in the front. So I always knew just to go to the front. And even now I go to seminars and things like that. I just go straight to the front because I already know that's where I'm going to be able to pay attention. That's mm -hmm. where my, my eyes will be at the screen and uh, just to soak in as much knowledge as possible. Mm -hmm. your you, you know, you obviously have tri-circle. It's a part of your recovery. Mm -hmm. What else do you do for just you? Awesome question. So I don't want to be a hypocrite, right? So I'm trying to teach self-care for all people and I got to be able to do it myself, right? So super important. Even for the professionals that help us to provide services, I think self-care is important for them too. You know, I go to a lot of the trainings that um, we create and I sit as an attendee. I regularly engage with my own recovery. You know, just the other day, I was uh, on call with my sponsor and I picked up the pen again. I needed clarity where to do that from. So that got me regrounded in the morning. I try not to look at my phone first. I try to you know, be consciously aware that I'm uh, opportunity presented itself when I woke up, right? Yeah. So what am I going to do with the opportunity? So try not to get too crazy. Um, I'm working with a health coach now. 
I had, again, food was an easy transfer for me, right? And uh, yeah. as stress goes up and doing what I'm doing um, without a partner, I think, or, you know, a husband, boyfriend, nothing, right? So um, a lot of the times I, I go in so deep to my passion and my desire, which people are like, you should do other things. But I said, this is, this is what makes me happy though, right? right? So I'm able to know that it can't be all that I do because it became very isolating. And it still can be. And then COVID, that's a whole nother thing. But so meditation and my health coach. So I got up to uh, 210 pounds again. Uh, I had gone over 200 and I didn't elaborate on the fact that I had been competitive in powerlifting and bodybuilding. I don't think I conveyed that. Remember I said I called nine years prior. Oh yeah, you did. You did talk about, or you mentioned it. I gave up cocaine at that time. Cause I thought it was my problem. Mm. I didn't know all the other stuff. And for me, it had to go too. But so when powerlifting came into my life, I did some competitive stuff for like nine years. And then I transitioned to bodybuilding. So it was, that's an outside thing, right? But it's um, body uh, dysmorphia and, and body image and some additional layers of addiction and manipulation and control, yeah. right? So then- when I got in recovery, I always mentioned that there's transfers of addiction, right? So uh, gambling, uh, sex, um, shopping, you know, working out, all those things can be taken to an extreme and become part of right. the problem. Like whack-a-mole, right? You put one yeah. down, three more pop up. Mm-hmm. So my continued success, I knew I had to reach out for help again. I knew I had to get grounded and take it back to the basics. And I wanted to... Um, communicate to the people I work with that I'm doing just what I would ask of you and nothing less. So uh, I do a gratitude list pretty regularly. Sometimes it's just posted with um, people I'm working with or it's on Facebook. So if you want to connect. Uh, yeah, I love your gratitude list. Yeah, they're pretty deep sometimes. They're, sometimes they're just funny. And um, <laughs> Well, you need but, to mix it up for sure. Oh man, it's so important to laugh. And I like listening to music. I love listening to people. I love listening to you guys in your past podcasts because it's just another way for me to stay connected. Lindsay's pointing to me to say, make sure you hit the website, make sure you hit. Yeah. (laughs) I want to make sure that people, so on a tell our listeners where they can find you, um, how to reach out any ways that they can get connected with you. Thank you. I am not the tech person to say I learned because I had to learn. I didn't even want Facebook, but <laughs> nothing against the Mr. Mark or anything, but it, it just, I didn't want to, right? Because there's there separations between me and, and people. Um, so me on a Gopian, it, Facebook for one. Tricircle Inc., www.tricircleinc.com, T-R-I-T-R-C, C-L-E-I-N-C.com. And then there's the Facebook. And then there's our website is chock full, overwhelming amount of information. I think there's Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, but we have amazing volunteers and committees that are really starting to step up to a new level and doing things and and events too. Yeah. What do you have coming up? So we have a Memorial Quilt Project this Saturday and Sunday, 27th, 28th. We're starting our second memorial quilt. And those are the first two dates of four. The next one is April 10th and May 1st. Tell tell folks about the, the quilt event that you're doing. Uh-huh. So at the office, I'm at the office now. I'm bringing everything that we'll need here. Um, people can either, you know, stop by, pick up some of the choices and have questions answered, sign documents. So it will have uh, 36 different people that have um, 
died, you know, in something related to the disease of addiction, accidental overdose, drug-induced suicide, murder surrounding the disease of addiction. And these are uh, many of the folks that are in our Hope After Loss groups, right? Or they're, they're family members that get to, you know, be around the creation of this quilt and really highlight some of the, the person that they were, right? Mm -hmm. And our hope is to also expand on that and have something online with them. So it gets it created and displayed at other events. Our first one has been uh, in this one, we will do the same other events. Everything's online. We have the chock full, you know, more creative though, because things have to be done with different, you know, CDC regulations, right. and, you know, stuff like that. So I'm sure you're excited once this is all over to get back to normal and have people in front of us because, you know, we're all creatures of social interaction mm -hmm. and needing that socialization. Um, you know, the events that Lindsay and I have been to, uh, for your organization have been fantastic. We're, we're happy to be a part of them. We thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks just for being so candid and vulnerable and we appreciate you. You're so fantastic. Yeah. And I like you guys too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Anna, you should definitely think about writing a book. A book that's awesome. Elizabeth Kirby Fullerton and I are, are doing just that. And uh, she is a, a Recovery Your Family is her organization that she had started. Um, but she and I have collaborated. We met years ago, never met face to face. And we are just sending out our newsletter, which includes a survey, which compiled data is our intentions as subsections of chapters in our book. Wow. So how, how, do you get that, how do you get that newsletter? Oh, awesome question. Um, you Thank can, you. I'm like Barbara Walters. You're, you're killing it, Adam. You're killing it. Lenore at tricircleinc.com. So uh, Lenore is the chair of our communications and public relations advisory board. And we have it also listed on our website. It has its own page with the past editions. And there's a lot of things now that we're on a platform that's um, really user-friendly and connects things. Elizabeth also does a little section within our newsletter. Then we usually highlight someone related and integrated into the solutions and, you know, have been affected. So there's a lot to do in there. We're able to put our meetings in there. There's 11 support group meetings and there's events. And so I'm really super excited. And the more emails that we get, the more people we can touch. We'll make sure we put it on our website. We'll make sure we put it on our social media. So it's yep. easy, easy to get to. But that's what I love about your organization is that it's not just for someone who is in recovery. It's also for family members or anyone who's interested in learning more about addiction and recovery. So absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, there's so many different choices that people have not heard of. If I hear a new one, I just send it right to the IT guy with a hyperlink and throw it up there. Everything on our page is hyperlink too. If you want it, take it, you know, awesome. together we are stronger. Yes. That, that's, yes. that's it. <laughs> together it. we are stronger. Now just I'll cue piano right here. And that's where that sound is. Do you have any advice for someone a family member who is, we usually ask this question, who is going, and this is when the piano kicks in. Um, do you have any advice for somebody who's going through um, addiction or uh, a family member of a loved one who's suffering from addiction? Yeah, reach out for help and get past the, the shame and the stigma and the story, right? Because I believe this is with everything I got. The best way to get back at the disease of addiction is to 
open up, reach out, and um, live well, right? It's the greatest capitalized F-U bomb that you can give yeah. <laughs> is living well. So if you're suffering in addiction and, and don't know how to get out, if you're a family member concerned about a loved one or have questions, the info at tricircleinc.com, it comes to me. Anything that connects to us, our office, and we now have clinical services as well, is 860-349-7074. If we can't provide that service or help, I will connect you to people that can. Right. And that's the key and the absolute opposite of addiction is connection. That's why the Together We Are Stronger is all capitalized. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for being here and, and thank you for sharing your story. Anna from TriCircle Inc. Thank you so much for joining us. Guys, for more information, go to TriCircleInc.com. I've been found Rest so tightly on your soul And every breath you try to breathe alone I'll be beside you so you know I'll be the fan